Thank you for your word. I thank you for its relevance in our day-to-day -day life. I pray that you will give us ears to hear and give us hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your phone, please turn it off. Um, well, for all of those who tend to be humiliated when you go to your OBGYN yearly thing, um, in Melbourne, Florida, one of the radio stations paid uh, money for prizes for the most unique stories and that experience. So this, this particular winner netted $300. And she wrote this, I was due later that week to have an appointment with my gynecologist when early one morning I received a call from his office that I'd been rescheduled for that morning at 9.30. And I just got everyone off to school. It was 8.45 and the doctor's office was 35 minutes away, so I had very little time to get ready. <clears throat> As most women do, I'm sure, I like to take a little extra effort over hygiene when making such visits, but this time I wasn't going to be able to make the full effort. So I rushed upstairs, started to uh, clean up, wet a washcloth, gave myself a wash in that area in front of the sink and taking extra care to be sure I was presentable. And I threw the washcloth in the basket, got in my clothes, hopped in the car, raced to the appointment, was in the office, got called in, knowing the procedures, I'm sure you all do. I hopped on the table, looked at the other side of the room, tried to pretend I was in Hawaii or anywhere else. <clears throat> I was a little surprised when he said, my, my, we've taken a little extra effort this morning, haven't we? Well, I didn't really respond. The appointment was over. I ran home in relief that was over and went the rest of the day shopping, cleaning, making dinner. And that night in the evening, my 14-year-old daughter was getting ready to go to a school dance, and she called to me from the bathroom, Mom, where is my washcloth? I called back to her to just get a different one out of the closet. She said, No, I need that one that was by the sink. It had all my glitter and sparkles in it. <clears throat> I, I knew you'd appreciate that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had enough time to read a longer one today, so. Mm. <clears throat> I found the chapter today in my preparation for it kind of reminds me if you've ever had a deep tissue massage um, where it hurts so good. Well, you know, it, it can be extremely painful, but when it's over, you're, you're grateful that you uh, had this done, and that's kind of how this chapter struck me this week, and I'm thankful for James Montgomery Boyce's commentary and... J. Vernon McGee, he had some great stuff to say, so <clears throat> I'm grateful for their help in my preparation. This is my first time to study the book of Haggai. I've read through it through the years, of course, but I've never studied it before. And as I've quoted a hundred times before, <clears throat> Romans 15:4 says that whatever is written in earlier times, Haggai, Obadiah, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So as I've thought much about this first chapter, I am struck with how completely relevant it is for us today. <clears throat> the Lord is speaking here in this chapter to his ancient people Israel through his chosen prophet Haggai, and he's telling them, you need to consider your ways. So as we study chapter one, I believe the Lord is still asking that question and applying it to his own followers today. So I'm going to ask each of you as we go through to consider your ways in applying the truths that we're going to see in this chapter. The year is 520 B.C. 
And God thought it was critical at this point to send this prophet to deal with and to record what was happening at this time. Sixteen years prior to this date, the Persian Emperor Cyrus had issued a, a decree, as you know, permitting the Jewish people, the exiles in Babylon, to return to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. We read about this in the first chapter of Ezra. <clears throat> in response to this decree, close to 50,000 Jewish people returned under the leadership of the newly appointed governors, Rubbabel and the high priest Joshua. So all this group of people made that long, difficult journey to their homeland, settled in or near Jerusalem, and began the difficult work of restoration. They cleared the temple court of all the rubble. They replaced the altar of burnt offerings so they could begin offering sacrifices again. This was the fall of 536 B.C., and by the spring of the next year, they had laid the foundation for the temple. As you saw in your study, this is when the real trouble began. There was incredible hostility from various neighboring tribes, especially the Samaritans, who were very resentful that they were not allowed to participate in the rebuilding of the temple. In the meantime, Cyrus had died in, the, in a battle, and his new successor, Ahasuerus, was on the scene in Ezra 4.6. And he was pressured by their enemies of the Jewish community here to have the work stopped. <clears throat> and it was when this work stopped that the people then turned their attention to their personal concerns. They got used to worshiping, you know, amongst the rubble of the great one's, temp one's temple that they used to have. And their desire to rebuild kind of went by the wayside. And 15 years have passed. And that brings us up to the time when the prophet Haggai gives this message. We know very little about him. His name means uh, something related to the word festival, so maybe he was born on a Jewish festival. We're not told who his parents were. He's only referred to as a prophet in both this book and in the book of Ezra. He is one of the last three prophets of the Old Testament, the prophets of restoration, along with Zechariah, who we studied last year, and Malachi. Everything that used to be gone in Jerusalem, or used to be there, was long gone. The past glory of their own kings and dynasties, the beauty of their temple, the huge population, all gone, exiled away. And that was left at this time, uh, at this time was all just rubble. And here comes this remnant of believers who wanted to go back to the land in obedience and had this huge task before them. Most of us are familiar with the historical books of Ezra and Nehemiah a little bit more, I think, than Haggai. <clears throat> and this was at the beginning of the time period. Uh, and Zechariah came about two months after Haggai and Malachi about 100 years later. So we're familiar with prophets preaching doom and destruction to Israel for their disobedience and for their idol worship. But this is no longer the situation with this prophet. This was the remnant. These are the people who obeyed God. They were living in the right place. They were wanting to worship God in the right way. They were doing the work God called them to do. So what happened is that their spiritual priorities simply got out of whack. Remember, these are the remnant who had a zeal for the Lord and devotion to him. You recall the majority of the Jewish people who had been exiled in Babylon did not make the effort to return when they were free to do so. It was only these few, 42,360 plus servants and singers, that left Babylon and made the trip back to Jerusalem. They had a zeal for the Lord and devotion to him, to be pure, to be separated to him. They followed Zerubbabel 
and were in the place God wanted them to be. And these people also started the work God called them to do when they got there. And in the midst of all this, they had families that they had to provide for. They needed to make a living. Most did this through farming. They had to restart trade and commerce in their town so they could just survive. All of this was necessary. All of this was valid. They also had the great desire to rebuild the temple. And I remind you that Ezra says the first thing these people did when they arrived in Jerusalem was to take a free will offering to help with the rebuilding of the house of God. I don't know what they did in Babylon, but they obviously had a great deal of success in leaving their businesses because it says, according to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work 61,000 drachmas of gold, millions of dollars in value, 5,000 minas of silver and 100 priestly garments. So this money then was used to pay for masons and carpenters, purchase cedar logs from Lebanon, and the transport to Jerusalem and all of these expenses. They progressed in the work as far as laying the foundation in the temple. This was a group of people that wanted to honor God, wanted to do his work. They put God's interest above their own. One commentator explained it this way. They were characterized by affection and zeal for God's house, and this is a great thing in his sight. Not only so, but in pursuit of that object, they had voluntarily turned away from the magnificence and grandeur and luxury in Babylon, where, after their long had been a long residence, the people of God had become thoroughly domesticated. They had faced trials and difficulties crossing the intervening territory, and the result of all their efforts and hardship was to, but to bring them to this desolated land and a ruined city. So their devotion and their zeal for the Lord's interests had been fully proved. There was nothing to attract them to the land except that for the fact that it was God's holy land and the city which he had chosen to put his name. So these were the cream of the crop. These are the remnant that we read about. I'm building a case here to show that these people are like committed believers in our day. This was a people who wanted to know the will of God and to do it. They had integrity in their desire to worship and sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord had stirred their hearts to follow him, and they had obeyed and listened. And yet it is to this people that God is speaking through Haggai and saying, Stop. Consider your ways. By way of application, as I said, I believe that God is asking each of us to do the same because it is so easy as we're busy to get our priorities out of order and to continue to be busy in our lives and not even realize that God is disciplining us and trying to get our attention so that we get back on track and have the right priorities. So I'm just calling the whole chapter, Consider Your Ways. So it begins with uh, God's people making excuses. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiai, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Haggai challenges them to think about their ways. The people had stopped the work in the temple. They felt they had a valid excuse as to why this wasn't the time to continue doing that work. How often people make excuses when deep down inside they know they're guilty. 
they had decided this just wasn't the right time for the temple project to go forward. Doing this aspect of the will of God in their lives was simply placed on hold. How many believers today do the exact same thing? They run into opposition. They get weary. They get focused on their own uh, needs and interests above the Lord and his kingdom work. It's not the right time to go on a missions trip. Give that financial gift you're aware there's a need for. It's not the right time to go do that witnessing to a neighbor or to continue in a ministry where nobody acknowledges your help or to even get involved in any ministry. It's so easy to rationalize away why there isn't time to have the same priority of God's work and kingdom. And yet, for these people, there was enough time to make sure that their own houses were beautifully paneled. Their excuse was that it wasn't the right time. For 15 years, they had been building their own homes and settling in while the house of the Lord still lay in rubble. They certainly had to deal with challenges and difficulties when they were rebuilding their own homes, and yet they were not willing to face those same challenges in going back to the work on the Lord's house. How many believers express the same type of excuses when we say, it's just not the Lord's will for me to do that right now? Why would one expect that doing the will of God is going to be easy and without any opposition? This godly remnant found plenty of time for themselves, money for their own houses, while claiming it wasn't the right time for the Lord's work to be done. I find these verses to be an incredibly gigantic mirror reflecting the reality of countless committed believers today. They're orthodox in their beliefs. They attend a good Bible-believing church. They participate in sharing the gospel. They do what honors the Lord, and yet there is something wrong. There is a failure to put God first. Instead of Christ and his work and his kingdom work being the priority in life, they have put their own homes and families or savings as their number one priority. They claim to have little time to be involved in kingdom work and serving others because they have so much to do with their own families that requires all of their time and energy. They work often, not for the necessities alone in this life, but for extra pleasures for their families, often to the neglect of ministry involvement or financial support of ministry. Clearly, I'm not saying providing for your family a warm and inviting home or making ways to have wonderful family outings is in any way wrong. I'm not saying that at all, that it's wrong. What we're seeing here is the failure of this remnant to continue with the work in the temple because of their wrong priorities. They lost their vision um, and what they were doing and their passion to do God's work. If a person were to stop their involvement in service for Christ because they met up with opposition and that was their excuse, how foolish is that? There are countless thousands at home and abroad on the mission field serving the Lord with ongoing opposition from individuals, from governments, from the unseen forces of the evil world that we looked at last week. Haggai has made it clear that these are not his own words. He is giving them God's words. And God is telling his people to stop making excuses and consider their ways. And the same applies for us. What are our priorities? Do you spend more on yourself without much thought about how your money can be used to further God's interests? What matters to him? 
Are you putting off service or giving of yourself or your time or your money because you think this isn't the right time? When the kids are all growing up and out of the house and then I'll have time and then I'll have money. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's deceptive. <clears throat> so the question is, again, consider your ways. As God tells them to consider the ways, he wants them to look in detail at what's happening. Give very careful thought, he says, to what you're doing. Because, he says, you have sown much but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough for you to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into his purse with holes. So God's people had put God's priorities on hold. And God is telling them and reminding them they're not to have any other gods before him. God has sent leanness into their lives, and they never put that together. There was no connecting of those dots. And this is why God is telling them to think carefully, consider your ways. He wanted them to think about their situation with greater clarity and greater understanding of what's going on. They planted a lot, but harvested little. They had some to drink, but never enough. Clothes to wear, but not warm enough. They kept earning paychecks, and yet there's never seemed to be enough money as there seemed to be holes in the purses where they kept the money. And why was this happening? Because they were off track spiritually. They never once attributed these trying circumstances as related to their disobedience. You had a question in your lesson today about God's discipline, which he does in our lives, or simply God sending trials and challenges to grow our faith to make us more like Christ. Either of these can be the reason behind the multiple challenges that we each face on a regular basis. But I think too often we jump to the conclusion that God is bringing trials into our lives and we never think it's his hand of discipline, the health issue, the financial issue, whatever. We don't think that that has anything to do with our sin. And he's saying, consider your ways. Wake up. When we put personal family and prosperity and what I can get for myself and what can I can get for my family and what I can get for my home as our priority and leave God out of the equation, we have gotten our priorities out of order. And when that happens, how often it seems we never have quite enough anyways, right? There's always an unexpected expense. We fail to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things about money and food and clothes will be added to you. He will take care of you because you're seeking his kingdom first. And don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm forced to ask myself this question and examine my own heart as I was preparing this. So I ask you, will you consider your ways and give time to seriously ask the Lord if you've gotten off track with your spiritual priorities? Will you ask him if some of the challenges you're dealing with in your life are more than just trial to build your character? It's him trying to get your attention to deal with your sin. Well, that leads us to get busy building the temple. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways again. Go up to the mountains, bring the wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. And when you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on the ground, what it produces, on the men, on the cattle, and the labors of your hands. They thought they would see great 
wealth and reward from all of their hard work. They thought they would earn an incredible income, but God says, I blew it away. It's gone. The heavens had obeyed God. They withheld the due, due for the crops. In other words, they're working all the time. Work, 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 work. Maybe working more than one job, but they were never able to get ahead. They worked, they worked, and yet they were falling behind, and they were never satisfied. This passage isn't saying they, ne- they didn't have food, they didn't have clothes, they didn't have enough. They just felt like they never had enough. I don't know about you, but this strikes me as a perfect picture of me and so many of us so much of the time. There's only one solution, and that is to repent and obey. Obey the command of God. God said to them, go up to the mountain, get the wood, build the temple. This did not require a great deal of thinking. It was work. It was discipline. Just go do it. These people had claimed, well, you know, this isn't the right time to build the temple. But that was an excuse. Their their priorities were completely out of whack, and they got lazy when it came to doing what really mattered to God. This godly remnant, and mind you, this is the godly remnant, is told by God to get off your behind and just go do the work. They had attributed poor crops and other difficulties to just natural causes. After all, that is just life on the planet Earth, right? But God is saying to them, why don't you blame me? I sent you this trouble. I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to get your attention. Consider your ways. Think about your situation. God is saying, I'm the one who's withheld material blessings from you. So get busy and do the work Ladies, are God's interests your first priority? Are you serving him and furthering his kingdom, or have you become like this godly remnant, appearing spiritual, certainly, on the surface, and not even realizing that their personal concerns and finances had usurped God's place and his purposes in their hearts? I pray we each have the courage to ask the Lord if he is behind certain challenges that we are facing, not just to develop, to develop our character, but to get our attention because our priorities are messed up. In these verses, we have seen that God first appealed to their mind. You say it's not time to build God's house? Okay, think about that. How is it that you live in houses? Nicely done houses. Then God appealed to their hearts. He called them, consider, set your heart on this. Then God gave them a clear command. This was his appeal to their will. Go, Go up, get the wood, and build. Not complicated. So some questions we need to ask ourselves in response to the passage is, is my own comfort and pleasures more important to me than the work of God? Am I making more effort to get ahead and to fix up and to do for me and mine financially um, and yet finding more and more disappointment in my life? If the answer is yes, then I encourage you to consider what needs to change, and to turn from your wrong priorities, priorities and get busy with his priorities. Obey him. Make sure he is your first priority. Have you made excuses as to why it's not the right time <laughs> to be a part of his work and kingdom goals? Has your family and their needs taken the place of God and your priorities from his perspective? I encourage you to take heed to the words of God consider your ways. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and get busy doing kingdom work. When the Lord is first in our lives, all the other things will be taken care of. And that's what Jesus said. So I love how the remnant responded. They're godly people. 
many of you ladies are godly ladies. So our response is to be the same as these people. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judas, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. They got busy and they obeyed God. They had a reverence for God to do the work. I remind you of Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The first to obey, as mentioned in this verse, as I just read, uh, are the leaders, which is critical. Zerubbabel was the civil leader and Joshua the spiritual leader, and they jumped right in, and the people followed. There was immediate obedience, along with reverence for the Lord and awe for him. And when they obeyed the Lord, they were assured by the Lord, I am with you. What a comfort to know. You know what? He blesses obedience, and he makes it possible for us to be in close fellowship with him. Only 24 days after Haggai began this chapter, and the beginning message to consider your ways has elapsed, and now God is assuring them of his presence with them as they now obeyed the word. Haggai was God's spokesman to his people. He helped the people rebuild the temple, and they did the work together. He encouraged them and challenged them, and they were faithful. So I exhort each of us to consider our ways as you walk out from here today and jump back into the busy rest of your day. Can you take five minutes and ask the Lord what needs to change? Our response is to give our all to the one who gave his all for us. Make sure you are seeking his kingdom. That's your first priority. Make the necessary adjustments and changes if you realize you've slipped into the really subtle idolatry of putting anything or anyone in front of the Lord of the universe. Years ago, I was reading uh, the book by John Piper, Life as a Vapor, a little devotional books, just short little devotionals. And I always remembered this one, so I had to find it. Ben, help me (laughs) remember the title and... Anyways, I finally found it. This one is called A Call for Coronary Christians. I can just read a little portion. But he said, coronary Christians are like the heart in the causes they serve. Adrenal Christians are like adrenaline, a spurt of energy, and then fatigue. What the church and the world needs today is marathoners, not just sprinters. People who find the pace to finish the lifelong race. Oh, for coronary Christians. Christians committed to great causes not great reform, or not rather, not great comforts. That's, let me read that again because it's so important. Oh, for coronary Christians, Christians committed to great causes, not great comforts. I plead with you to dream a dream that is bigger than you and your families and your churches. On deify the American family and say boldly that our children are not our cause. They are given to us to train for a cause. They are given to us for a short season so that we can train them for the great causes of truth and mercy and justice in a prejudiced, pain-filled, perishing world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the incredible relevance and practicality of the book of Haggai. Lord, I thank you for the godly women who you've raised up 
who love you, who love your word, who are here studying your word. And Lord, I know it is so easy to fall subtly into the trap of just doing life with misplaced priorities. I pray you use the lesson that we've studied today to impact our lives for true change and that we'd evaluate every moment of how we're using our time. Is it too much time on me? Is it too much time on my house and too little time on your house and your priorities? Lord, help us to find the right balance and to be obedient and to consider our ways, Lord, and make you our top reason for living. In Jesus' name, amen.